Hi everyone, you're listening to the Mid-Faith Crisis Podcast. This is episode 212. My name is Joe Davis and right there is Nick Page. See, and that's how you do an introduction. Yeah, it's a bit too slick, wasn't it, I thought? Was it? it lacks the kind of rustic charm that I bring to it. <laughs> you do bring a certain charm, I must admit. Yeah. <laughs> Well, um, uh, ditto. Uh, <laughs> what he said. It felt all wrong, I've got to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Episode 212, uh, yeah, me, Nick, him, Joe. There we yeah, go. there it is. Beautiful. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and this is an interview uh, yes. with Oliver Berkman. Mm. In, a, in, in one of the strangest of months, isn't it? Because September, we're all over the place. Yeah, so we should we should talk about this. Uh, basically, we are um, going to put these out. We've got a couple of interviews going out, but we, we're both away, basically, yeah. for most of September. Well, you know, different bits of it. Yeah, I think I um, think you should tell the listeners the truth. We're having a trial separation, aren't we? We are. Yeah. <laughs> Just... <laughs> I'm, I'm want custody of the microphones. Um, yeah, we're we're we've just had enough of each other. Uh, so, yeah, so we'll be putting out a couple of interviews and probably, I imagine, getting very confused in future bits about who we are and where we are at any given point. <laughs> I would have thought so. doesn't yeah. say, I mean, I have trouble with that most of the time anyway. That's, that's true. Anyway, <laughs> so for the moment, as we're recording this roughly in the right week, uh, how are you? Oh, well, yeah, good. Um, so I did the um, the wedding in France. Oh, you did? And you sh- you shaved your beard off? I have yes because now yeah. I'm back in the UK so yeah so yes it was lovely to have a beard for a little while uh, I yeah I felt at one with you for a little while it was nice mm. <laughs> no it was great uh, really lovely and France well I mean it's a delight isn't it really I haven't really spent much time in France but there we were in the middle of it a place called Valencay mm. there was a chateau and uh, yeah nice little taste of the high life eh um yeah, yeah. so <laughs> and the croissants uh, so that was very nice <laughs> but now here we are, here i am getting busy for a, a conference that i'm speaking at in the usa i mean get me eh? yeah, yeah. Look at i you. know big, big speaker boy. <laughs> this is so strange i mean maybe we'll say more about this next time but yes um it is a bizarre thing but there we go well i mean we're hoping uh technology allowing and that is uh, a big allowance in your case, if I, if I may say so. It's a challenge. Um, to actually, we'll try and get an interview with you from the conference, I think. Yes. Um, let's, you know, if possible. No harm in trying, is there? Yeah, no harm in trying. Uh, Be great. Yes, yes, see how it's going on. Maybe you might get some interviews from people while you're out there. I don't know. It's just a thought. I mean, we, you know, if I was efficient, I would do just that, wouldn't I? Mm, yeah. Okay. Probably not then. Anyway, so so there you go. Life is full for the next few weeks, that's for sure. How how are you doing? Because last week you were feeling a bit, you know, under the weather, weren't you? Mm, yeah, I need a break still. I yeah. think need a break and uh, looking forward to having my holiday. Um, so the pages are going on holiday in 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 England. So that will uh, that'll bring a deluge, I imagine. Um, mm. That'll help with the weather. <laughs> so, um, are we allowed to ask whereabouts you're going? We're going to Dorset. Oh, lovely. Uh, and mm. then to Somerset. 
So nice. a bit of West Country, a bit of cider. Mm. Might pop into a few old churches. <laughs> yeah. Why am I not? Your lucky family. That's all I can yeah, say. Yeah, well, Claire, Claire quite likes them. It's, it's all right. No. Anyway, uh, yeah, so it's a bit of a, it's as ever, it's a little bit of holiday slash research. But anyway, yeah, looking forward to that. Yeah. Very good. Anything else? Mm. So. Well, I went to a concert. Did you? Yeah. I, I, I was impressed as well. Uh, I went to, well, it was in the Baptist church in Ensham, so there weren't that many people in there. Okay, uh, as it normal. Was full. It was full, <laughs> oh, right. but, it, you know, it can... No, it was full, <laughs> but it... Uh, by a guy called Paul Field. Oh, I love Paul Field. I mean, what's... Yeah. The, I know. It's so immense. he, for those of us of a certain age, was originally in a band called Nutshell. Nutshell. And then Network 7. That's... They, they, they didn't sort of ask became, No, no. Uh, nutshell, and what's the interesting thing was they did it um, because uh, one of the singers who used to be in Nutshell actually lives in the village, and uh, so that's how what, how come Paul was here. So they actually sang together the two two women and Paul uh, f- from Nutshell for the first time in forty six years. Wow! <laughs> and oh it was lovely. Gosh. It was that very nice. And, and the thing about him is he's uh, he's very much I think a mid faith crisis songwriter. Mm. Uh, so. I'm I'm hoping that in the future we'll maybe have an interview with him. Oh, that'd and, be great. Uh, he he writes really great songs. He does. He has written one of my favourite songs, which is called God of the Moon and Stars. And if that, you haven't heard God of the song. Moon and yeah. Stars, it's yeah. just wonderful. I'll, I'll put a link. Yeah, he, sa- he sang that and it is great. And he sang another really interesting song about church. So I, I, I hope to do an interview with him at, and... Well, I'm a little bit jealous, but that is great. So that was good. So so get me going to a concert. I know. Check you out. Mm. Thanks for inviting me along. It's a social life. (laughs) Is that what they call it? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Anyway. (laughs) Great. Okay. Well, um, notices. I've got some notices. Can I do them now? Well, uh, so last week, people were asking for a copy of your prayer, I think, and uh, a copy of the poem oh, okay. that we read out. And so they're on our Facebook page. So if you're on the Facebook... Um, I'll put them on the website as well. Yeah, thank you. I think That's the good. prayer was on the website, actually. I'm fairly sure it's, it's already okay. there, but, you know, uh, I should have put a link in. I apologise. Well. That's okay. Just get your act together, will you, please? I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Oh, no, shoddy. Uh, Anyhow, that was the notices, was it? That bit. That was it. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Well, that's fairly rubbish in itself, wasn't it? Now let's take up an offering. <laughs> <laughs> well, talking of which, oh no, we won't actually. Uh, anyway, l- listen. Um, let's talk about this interview. We got an interview oh, wow. with Oliver Berkman. Oliver Berkman. I know, very exciting. So you may not have heard of Oliver Berkman, uh, but he's a, he's a Guardian uh, columnist and he has written the book 4,000 Weeks Time Management for Mortals, which is the book you bought me um, mm. last time you were down here. I suppose to keep me occupied while you were traipsing around churches, but... Um... It was either that or a colouring book. Um, <laughs> and they'd run out of colouring books, so... <laughs> Yeah, it's more my level. Uh, but you loved this book, and so you bought me a copy, and mm. then, of course, I loved it and have subsequently bought it for many people. But it's a terrific book and um, a, a definite must-read, I'm going to say. It's packed full of wisdom. Mm. Yeah, yeah, really good. So, I, as you do, I wrote to him and said, Hey, Oliver, 
I'm, uh, you know, a co-host of uh, a podcast. There's about 196 most popular Christian podcast in Namibia. Mm. How would you feel about coming on the show? <laughs> and uh, he was right there. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and we ought to say that you did the interview. I think almost it was really quite close in the aftermath yeah, of your mum's death, wasn't it? Yeah. So I'm going to offer an apology out. I, I don't feel this. <laughs> this was a good interview, really. <laughs> Though uh, so, so he was he was absolutely lovely. So <laughs> the more astute among you may notice that me as the interviewer didn't really ask him any questions, which makes it quite an unusual interview. I just it was an interesting technique. I felt I just read bits to. Him. <laughs> I mean, genuinely, I remember the day I did it. I mean, I was absolutely fuzzy headed and yeah. and right right out of it. Well, you so, took the following. You took the week off, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So off. I so, sort of... so it was good of you to do it anyway. It was great of you to do it. So and and you're right. He's he's great anyway, and he's got lots to say. And um, I I thought what was really interesting about it is that you know actually it's our first guest who's not a Christian. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. I, you, who knows about all the other ones? I mean, yeah. You know, ex- exactly. Got got my worries about Dave Steele, but you know, <laughs> it, it, um, so. <laughs> But it, I think it's still a, a lot of spirituality in it. It's very of course, interesting. It's, it's back full of it, yeah. How it relates to that. So, uh, listen, so this is um, Joe interviewing and indeed reading to <laughs> Oliver Bertman. <laughs> well, dear friends, I am so pleased to welcome to the Midfaith Crisis podcast today the author of uh, my favourite book of the year, 4,000 Weeks Time Management for Mortals. It's Oliver Berkman. Hello, Oliver. Hello. Thanks very much for inviting me. Oh, this is great. Now, listen, I'm just going to I'm just going to give you a bit of high praise before we get going. Uh, So your book was bought for me by my fellow co-host, who is an author himself, Nick Page. So listen, Nick doesn't buy books other than books he's written, generally speaking, (laughs) for other people. (laughs) So there can be no higher praise that he absolutely loved this book. I'm honoured. And said, Joe, you've just you've just got to read this. It's fantastic. And uh, sure enough, uh, I do think it's absolutely fantastic. And now I have bought it. You'll be glad to hear from many people. Um, but I suppose first, let's let's just start off. Firstly, a bit about yourself. Who, who are you? Um, why have you come to write a book such as this? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, just the short version of my professional life, I guess. Um, talk about other aspects of my life. Sure. Mm. But um, is uh, I. I I always wanted to be a journalist, really, mm. uh, after, except for a brief and doomed dalliance with an academic career, I suppose. Mm. Um, I worked for The Guardian, firstly in a casual capacity and then on staff as a feature writer for many years. Mm. And I wrote um, a weekly column in the Weekend magazine for over a decade, terrifyingly, called mm. uh, This Column Will Change Your Life, about psychology and philosophy and happiness and spirituality and everything, mm. really. Uh, and I published a book of columns from that, uh, column called, called help. Mm. And, uh, then a book called the antidote about, um, the benefits of negative thinking and the perils of positive thinking. And then this most <laughs> recent book, 4,000 weeks is about human limitation and finitude, I guess, and why, and our struggles with time and, uh, how to find a, a more sort of peaceful relationship with time, uh, and now I still do some newspaper journalism, but a lot less and mm. uh, mainly sort of focused on on book things, really. So that's Great. my story. 
well, welcome here. And, and thank you so much for taking time out uh, to be with us today. I suppose, first up, I mean, before we dive in, and I'm sorry, I am going to be reading many of my favourite quotes <laughs> at you, uh, which is a bit weird, I know, uh, quoting yourself to you. But um, I, I was just wondering, what brought you to write this book now? What were you seeing? What were you noticing? I suppose, going on in culture and perhaps people's lives, you you saw what I mean, I'm a little bit worried that this answer will sound solipsistic or narcissistic or something, but I really do think that I I write the books that I need to have in the world to, mm. you know, figure out how I want to change and, and evolve. Mm. So it's definitely related to the culture mm. because I'm mm. a member of the culture and yeah, people sure. are feeling, you know, if I'm feeling utterly overburdened by email or far too easily distracted by social media or any of these other sort of familiar time problems, then uh, it's a good bet that there's a constituency of people who are feeling that. But it makes more sense to me to explain why I wrote this book, you know, not in the context of like the zeitgeist, but more in the context of my own life journey, I suppose. So um, as it turns out, I actually think that maybe that is the way to write something that resonates with the wider culture mm. um, for slightly mysterious reasons. I don't know. I don't know why that, well, I guess it's just because we all are part of the culture, aren't we? But so, so I was sort of, I was at this place where I had spent a long time sort of obsessing through the column and elsewhere about trying to sort of get control over my time and feel like I was in the driver's seat of life and all that sort of stuff and sort of reached r- the end of the road with with that and began to understand that it was part of a kind of a quest for a feeling of control that is motivated by fear and you know all these kind of sort of more sort of therapeutic insights i suppose i was talking about myself so far so you know uh self-absorbed but i think where that left me is in the place of thinking that there was a role for a book that that took seriously our the way we struggle with with time and on a daily level you know the idea of to-do lists and schedules and that that sort of level of time but that didn't buy into this notion that there is some way of uh kind of defeating the human condition you know there isn't some way yeah. of uh transcending the fact that we we find ourselves on the planet with this limited amount of time this limited amount of control over time and freedom i think lies in figuring out the truth of that and making it work instead of trying to mm. instead of trying to escape it i guess yeah well okay let's bring me to my first quote <laughs> right. you said it, you you talk about the paradox of limitation which runs through you said that the whole book everything that follows the more you try to manage your time with the goal of achieving a feeling of total control and freedom from the inevitable constraints of being human the more stressful empty and frustrating life gets but the more you confront the facts of finitude instead and work with them rather than against them the more productive meaningful and joyful life becomes and then you you mentioned i can't remember it was there just before jomo instead of fomo so fomo as we all know is the fear of missing out but you talked about the joy of missing out so straight in with this kind of look face it life's limited (laughs) yeah i mean i think there is this i think there it really gets to the core of it for me because i think that so much of the ways that we end up struggling with time we're doing it for reasons of kind of emotional 
avoidance. We're doing it because mm -hmm. we we don't want to feel like what it feels like to be to be here and to be the humans that we that we are with our limited time and limited control. Mm. And so we, you know, we chase these fantasies of how soon you're going to be in control of everything, but not quite now. It's always just over the horizon. Um, mm. Uh, or that it might be possible. I mean, it's baked into the idea of FOMO, the fear of missing out. It seems mm. to me that this is some sort of risk in life that you could avoid. Mm. But it isn't a risk. Yeah. It's a complete inevitability in a world <laughs> yeah, of you know exactly. infinite possibilities that yeah. you are going to miss out on most stuff. So I, I, you know, this idea of JOMO, the joy of missing out, I just, I just mean by that, that when you really see the situation that we're in, there is a kind of a there is a kind of additional vividness and meaning that comes from from understanding everything you're sacrificing in order to do one thing with an hour you know if i decide if i am spending an hour with my son five-year-old son for example it it means more and i'm less likely to fall mm. prey to boredom and distraction and things like that if i if i'm conscious of yeah. all the things that i'm choosing to forego in order to spend that time with him because I am not on my best days anyway, mm. under the illusion that there's some way of doing parenting and writing and all the other things I want to do to a hundred percent. Like that just yeah. doesn't add up. You can't, there are no, trade-offs. No, so exactly. awareness of those trade-offs enhances the experience. Yeah. I mean, again, I think the starting point for most spirituality is a kind of ra radical acceptance of what is. Right. And it seems to me you, you moved us very quickly in the book to this idea that you can't get everything done get over right. it like, right. embrace it acknowledge it you know there's there's far right. more to do than you can ever have right. uh so get with it peace comes in how deciding i think you said most wisely what not to do and right. how and to feel peace at not doing it in fact <laughs> yes no absolutely yeah. and i don't know how much you want to get into specific religious traditions and things you can you can steer me away from that if you no no i'd love prefer. you to. but i mean one part of this I've always found deep resonance in the sort of Zen traditions. And I, yeah. and I quote a bunch of that, which is, which is to do with this idea that like the trouble we cause ourselves is wanting reality to be other than it is. The mm. trouble we cause ourselves is trying to solve the situation, treating the situation that we're in as a problem that needs to be mm. solved. And so I quote Jocko Beck at the beginning of the book, you know, mm. what makes it unbearable, she says, what makes it unbearable is your mistaken belief that it can be cured. Yeah. The problem is trying to find a cure for the situation. But then I but then there's also I'm, you know, somewhat more aware of the Christian resonances here mm. after writing the book. So I was contacted by people from with a lot of history in those traditions. Um my own spiritual background is a bit weird, but uh, um <laughs> the, we can talk about that too. But the um that that Christianity is very strong, or at least sort of grace based traditions of Christianity are very strong on not so much on like face the stark reality of the fact that you can't do it all but on the kind of it's okay that you can't do it all or mm. even much of it all but you but you count anyway mm. that um because I think so much of this productivity culture we tie our self-worth to it right and we tell ourselves, yeah exactly yeah. not only have we got to do an impossible amount being minimally acceptable and having a right to exist on the planet depends on our doing an impossible amount. Well, that's a disastrous equation. Yeah, it to is. To, to it is. Your life by. Yeah. And so I, you know, what I take so powerfully, even though I'm 
don't really think of myself as a Christian, but I think, you know, from that, those kind of what I understand from those theological ideas of grace, you know, is just this notion that like, you're not doing it. You're not doing productivity to, to try to win mm. justification. You, the thing you can do stuff in the world as an expression of the joy of being alive, or, or you could frame that in more religious terms, but, but you don't have to reach some level of output in order to get the right to be here i suppose yeah exactly exactly and 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 the other thing i think about fomo is this sort of unlimited choice we seem to have you know we get more and more choices you walk down a coffee aisle i mean there's a thousand different coffees to get and i'm never sure whether that makes us happier or more anxious yeah, just buying coffee. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, there's a long, tra- yeah, there's a long tradition that you'll be aware of of psychological research suggesting that it makes us less happy, yeah. right? I mean, yeah, because it that it's that it that you know the paradox of choice. It's called you know that 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 um, I guess the simplistic account of it is that we're sort of haunted by the possibility that there are other better ways we mm. could be living, and it's very difficult to mm. truly enjoy the choice you do make when you're sort of yeah. haunted by the mental image of and of course that's just one. that's just buying coffee but when that's it comes, just coffee yes. that's just coffee what, what about the choice of what should i do with my life right you know because there is there is limitless things i should be doing and could be doing and could yeah. be giving and I, I love that quote i think it was was it warren buffet they the, the quote about the the list 25 things yes right you want yeah. to do with your life yeah yeah, yeah. and now not only erase the bottom 20, once you put them in order, not only yeah. erase the bottom 20, but, and this is the really kind of Zen master bit of it. Right. Actively don't do them. Right. Yes. Right. Because all yeah. they do is serve as a distraction from doing the things that are really important. And that really spoke to me, this, this idea that, yeah, there's so many things that I'll try and do a little bit of everything. Right. No, I'm, I'm really glad that resonated. Yes. It's yeah. this idea that, I think many of us think, and people like me who geek out on time management systems are especially <laughs> prone to thinking it, but many of us think that there must be, there just must be some way to make time for all the things that really feel like they matter. So the container yes. of your time yeah. and stamina must yeah. be big enough for all the things that you think matter. And if you've got too much stuff in your container, it must be because you're including things that don't really matter. And so mm. that's this kind of that's the traditional time mm. management thing that says, like, get rid of all the other stuff, delegate it, you know, mm. say no to it. Actually, I think there's just more stuff that matters than we mm. have time for. Mm. Yeah. And the only way yeah. to do some things that matter is to leave some other things that matter outside of the container. And that is hard. That's a hard thing to yeah to face yeah yeah really hard and then and then and then I, I've just written here this is a spiritual truth I mean the whole book from my point of view is an incredibly spiritual book I I wonder what section um, bookshops put it in because this book was, <laughs> do, do they do they put it in the spirituality section or do they put it in the management section or do they put it in both uh well in britain certainly there is this category that i sort of wish didn't exist called smarter thinking i really uh, where it, which is where it tends to end up um and this 
it's not business and it's not self-help, but it sort of is both of those things. And it's a bit philosophy as well. And, and what I don't like about yeah. that is it makes it makes it too cerebral for me. Yes, but there you go. Right. But Absolutely. Anyway. No, I, sure. I, I'm with you on that. Yeah. OK, so uh, so I, I, I just put this. This You didn't say this. I say this. This is a spiritual truth. Our obsession. This, this is on page 135, if you're interested in following along. <laughs> <laughs> our obsession with extracting the greatest future value out of our time blinds us to the reality that, in fact, the moment of truth is always now that life is nothing but a succession of present moments culminating in death, and that you'll probably never get to a point where you feel you have things in perfect working order, and that therefore you had better stop postponing the real meaning of your existence into the future and throw yourself uh, into life now. Now that, if I had a little hallelujah button, you know, I'd push that. <laughs> I'd push that now. There'd, there'd be a little bit of handle playing <laughs> the chorus. Because uh, that's... I mean, when you read it, it's so true, but it's so hard to actually practice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But of course, no, yeah. all we've got is now. Yeah. That wasn't a question. Sorry, I should no. probably phrase it as a question. No, I mean, I can, <laughs> I can ramble in response Thank to you. it. Thank you, please do. Yes. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, I think this is, it, it does sound like a sort of banal kind of truism, doesn't it? That, that the only moment we ever have is now, but it, but it embodies so many of these, of these things. Obviously, there's some sense in which it's probably not true for any one of us that, that we're not going to have some future moments, mm. uh, maybe lots of and hopefully lots of future moments. But I think that what it really gets at for me is the danger of this notion that your life is going to sort of cash out at a, mm. at a future moment or the yeah. payoff is going to come at a future yeah. moment. Um, and what that does to your experience of the present which is the only time you ever experience um to to imagine that it's all that what time what experience is primarily about is where it is heading mm. rather than um rather than about the the actual experience and you get this captured in all sorts of mm. you know in all sorts of spiritual traditions i i don't know enough about christian traditions to know how this this notion that present is all we have which is in the mm. on the mountain and all sorts of other places in the in, in, a, in the bible i don't know how that sits with ideas about an afterlife especially sort of old-fashioned what i think of no. old-fashioned forms of belief in a in a very sort of literalistic yeah. yeah afterlife that would seem to um certain kinds of eternal life would seem to render most of the points i'm making uh no, exactly. Pretty, pretty well, moot. <laughs> I don't know how you make sense of those either, to be honest, because I think, right. well, well, I don't, I, I think, I think I've moved on personally. Right, exactly. but, well, right. but I will say this, that in the Lord's Prayer, which generally speaking, every Christian is encouraged to yeah. pray. There's some very interesting lines um, that I think where Jesus as a very wise spiritual teacher mm. is telling people to always be in the present moment so yeah. give us today our daily bread right right forgive us our sins you know don't think about the past right, yeah, lead yeah. us not into temptation don't right. be in the future yeah. i mean yeah. it seems to me there's there's an idea even within that most yeah you know common of prayers the and of course jesus teaching the sermon amount about you know today has enough worries of its own don't yeah, worry about tomorrow right, yeah. you know we've got these clear instructions that here and now is what's really important and right. where all the action 
kind of yeah. needs to be. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, the idea that you defer pleasure to the afterlife is a total anathema. I think increasingly so um, for 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 many Christians now. That I mean, kind I, of I'm aware idea. that there are very yeah. there are yeah. other ways of understanding the, nat- the, mm. the concept of eternal life. That can be something mm. that in some sense is a phenomenon of sort of vertical time. Mm. There's eternal life now. Not yeah, exactly. Sort of exactly right. Extension. But um, there was some interesting, you know, there was a very interesting review of the book in the website of something called the Gospel Coalition, which I don't know anything about, which uh, was basically incredibly positive, but then said, ultimately, doesn't work for this reviewer because he doesn't think of himself as a mortal. So time management of mortals is not is not applicable <laughs> here. And I was like, you know, I guess I guess if that's your position, yeah, uh, some of this does have to be rethought. Yeah, <laughs> that is good. Okay, well, look, I'm going to move us along because not because yeah. I, I want to hurry us because I'm enjoying every moment. Here's a fun yeah. fact that you mentioned. I mean, just in terms of impatience and the kind of where things have got to in our obsessively rushed and hurried world. Mm. You said if Amazon's front page loaded one second slower, <laughs> they would lose one point six billion dollars a year. I don't know where you got that research from, but that's frightening, isn't it? One second slower. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just this, it's this, it's this phenomenon uh, where not only are we incredibly impatient uh, and, you know, mm. if a website loads a bit more slowly, you're like, oh, I'll go somewhere I, else. And I feel customer. it. I feel yeah. it myself. I do it. <laughs> There's something really strange about the fact that this should be worse today than in the past, right? And it's like, yeah. it's, there's something very odd about the fact that a, uh, uh, waiting, let's say, eight seconds for a website just to make it more vivid. Like if a website mm. takes like eight or 10 seconds to load, I'm getting really annoyed mm. with it. Um, if I ring someone up and they say, yeah, I'll put that in the post to you and you won't get it for three or four days, that's fine. Like that mm. level of waiting yeah. is apparently yeah. fine. But this level of waiting where I, on some level, I think it should be instantaneous and it's much yeah. more frustrating. Mm. That, that they're, therefore that it isn't i think you know part of the argument i make in the book about this is that mm. um one thing that our technologies do is they seem to bring us closer and closer to this moment where we are kind of like the gods of our time mm. where anything we want to do we can do in a single moment mm. no time at all and therefore it becomes actually more and more frustrating to still have to encounter yes. that that second yeah, yeah. um and the a writer a scholar called tim Wu has made a related point about like this is kind of an american point but he but mm. uh, you can tell but he says that you know when you don't need to when you can order concert tickets on your phone and you don't need to queue for them it becomes much more frustrating to to have to queue to to vote now we don't use mm. queue to vote in this country yeah. so it's not yeah. a brilliant example but things that resist uh speeding up so uh, another example you know just a normal example it's like to have a good deep conversation with a family member to really listen to somebody mm. you yeah. can't do it on your schedule you have to yeah let it happen and the the hunch here is that that actually gets harder for us when like mm. the thing we were just doing before we had that conversation was finding out about news yeah. that was happening 4000 miles away yeah. or sending yeah. five yeah. messages in a minute yeah. or something like that you know? yeah yeah no this is great and then just moving us on again to this idea of sort of meaning for our lives and and i think what you've sort of been hinting at is that you know we we think if we if we can get everything done if we can finish our to-do list if we can work through our inbox and 
answer or we'll find some sort of fulfillment. But of course, we never do because the minute the inbox is empty, all you've done is create more emails, <laughs> more email, yes. to come in. And 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 you, and you talked about at one point um, the loneliness of the digital nomad. I hadn't really come across digital nomads, but my brother lives in Mexico, and they started Airbnb and being one of their rooms. And so they get these people uh, who who come from all over the world to come and stay in their beautiful island, mm. Cozumel, to work because they can. Yeah. But you you talked about, you know, so often we think we'll just be happy if we can do, if we could go here, if we can do yeah. this, if, we, if only this was happening, if only this. And it's that kind of if only thing. And actually... And I've seen it many times with people who've retired um, and moved away, thinking that that was the art, that's the that's the dream to yeah. go and live by the sea or whatever it is. Actually, they're really lonely. Right. And right. and and digital nomads are often they're staying in the most beautiful places in the world, yeah. but they're lonely. Yeah. And there's something I think really important in that message as well. Yeah, I think it speaks to especially in the digital nomad thing but in other parts as well i think it speaks to this idea that we we think what we want is total sovereignty over our time mm. right we, I mean, we think that we want to make all the decisions in our lives about where we are and what we're doing when and to the extent that we can't do that because we're in a job mm. or a busy family or whatever it is we sort of rail against those constraints but at least to some extent we actually get a lot of benefit from those constraints mm. and the sort of mm. boringly sort of e economistic way of talking about this is that time is a network good instead of a, instead of just a budget good that having lots and lots of time is not particularly useful if um it's not yeah. well coordinated with other people's time so it's more like you know it's like a telephone network. There's no point yeah. having 10 telephones if nobody else is on the telephone network. The point is to have one telephone <laughs> yeah. and to be linked up with the other people. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, in, in obvious ways and in subtler ones, you know, if you are living somewhere uh, away from all the people that you have come to enjoy oh. spending time with, it's going to be harder to have an enjoyable life. I um, mean, it, yeah. it sounds so obvious. And yet I just feel like we've got to, hear this message over and over again about what is really important. I'm going to say some more about grief because I'm also a funeral celebrant. So I'm working okay. with death and also right. I just lost my mother. I did my mum's funeral last oh, Friday. To hear it. Wow. Yeah. Well, she got 5,000 weeks. I think Amazing. she got 5,012. Brilliant. In fact, which is remarkable, but I could tell you the story many times over of people who literally died the week on one occasion, the day after they retired. So again, it speaks to this whole business of I'll defer the real meaning of my life yeah, until yeah. I've retired or, Oh, right. right. It might anyway. never happen. Yeah. No, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. The real action is here now. So I'm going to finish with two quotes. Otherwise I'm going to keep you here all day. <laughs> <laughs> so this, I think this is reinforcing what you just said. In fact, it's the, the unbridled reign of the individualist ethos fueled by the demands of the market economy has overwhelmed our traditional ways of organizing time, meaning that the hours in which we rest, work and socialize are becoming ever more uncoordinated. It's harder than ever to find time for a leisurely family dinner, a spontaneous visit to friends or any collective project. I feel like the church is noticing that as, mm. as, as well as they try to do their 
good in the communities and ever but mm. but on a personal level i see that in fact what this reminded me i've got to tell you i, I don't know whether you've seen that film netflix film don't look up about the asteroid i haven't yet I, I know I, that i should so many people have told me i should it's, it's terrific yeah. <laughs> it's really well done but there's a, a very lovely scene I don't, I don't know whether this is a spoiler for you now uh, <laughs> let's just do it at the, at the end <laughs> where where I think it's just focused everyone in on what's really important. And there's this beautiful scene. It's like a last supper scene where they're just enjoying a meal together and everyone is equal and everyone's together. And, you know, old, old hurts are forgotten. And, you know, what's important is they're together and, and having a meal. And I thought, you know, again, it's just that powerful reminder that we sort of, you know, we don't know what's happening climatically at the moment. Right. Well, we, right. we do know some of it and it, it, ain't, it ain't good. And you can choose to allow that, I feel at the moment, to make you very depressed. Right. You know, to, to be a real doom and gloom mum. But again, that's putting all your energy into the future that hasn't happened yet. Right. Because right. at the moment, it's hot, not too uncomfortable, but hot right. and lovely. Right. And there are friends that I could be, you know, sharing a glass of cold water with, or, you know, there is... Yeah. There are people I could share a bit of love with. I could. There's a lot of nature outside that I could go and enjoy at the moment. But if I'm kind of in my head, worried about everything, um, yeah, there's, there's again. Yeah, and I'm, I think I'm, I mean it's worth saying as well. Like you, that, that I think that um, that is not antithetical to mm. really taking seriously absolutely like the threat to the environment. That it's actually it it it's through coming back into the present. And, you know, as the great radical environmentalist Derek Jensen says, you know, doing caring for the habitats that you want to protect or the or whatever else it is that you're doing mm. because you love them, not because you necessarily are feeling very hopeful about their future right yeah. now, but just because like, you know, you, you do it for its own sake. Exactly. Uh, and, and actually, I think that probably leads to well, the best results in the long term anyway. Well, yeah. which it leads us very helpfully to, I think, uh, the the your last chapter in the book, which is about the next most necessary thing. Um, so can I read a bit from this? Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm I'm not. I should be really firing you loads of questions, but I'm just asking you to comment on brilliant bits. No, that's okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm flattered. I mean, <laughs> no, it's it's nice. I'm so in my comfort zone. That's to that good. <laughs> okay. Good. Okay. So. Um, you say this, a life spent focused on achieving security with respect to time, when in fact such security is unattainable, can only ever end up feeling provisional, as if the point of your having been born still lies in the future, just over the horizon, and your life in all its fullness can begin as soon as you've put it, in Arnold Bennett's phrase, into proper working order. Once you've cleared the decks, you tell yourself... Once you've implemented a better system of personal organization or got your degree or invested a sufficient uh, number of years in honing your craft, or once you found your soulmate or had kids or once your kids have left home or once the revolution comes and social justice is established, that's when you're feeling control at last. You'll be able to relax a bit. True meaningfulness will be found. Until then, life necessarily feels like a struggle. Sometimes an exciting one, sometimes exhausting, but always in the service of some moment of truth that's still in the future. Well, couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> well, you did say it. And let me tell you something. There's a philosopher you may have heard of called Dallas Willard. Uh, so he was based in the States, but he was also, to my way of thinking, a great uh, psychologist and theologian. And he talked about Jesus teaching about the kingdom of God. Mm. 
And he said that the kingdom of God is just a flashy way of saying the reign of God, you know, doing what God wants to happen in terms of justice and stuff. And he said, so here's what you want to know what life is like in the kingdom of God. He said, it's about you doing the next good thing. That's it. So it's that simple. Um, And once you've done that, do the next good thing. Right. And that's all there is. And he summarized I loved his definition of love. He said, to love someone is to will their good. Right. And that's a pretty, yeah. he's pretty straightforward. And that's why I like yeah. him. <laughs> yeah. So to will their good. So to love people around us is to will their good. To live in the kingdom of God is to do the next good thing. And I think really, I was fascinated that you finished your book with, here's, here's, here's where we end up. Do the next most necessary thing. And again, it seemed to me what you're saying is be in this moment here now doing what you're actually doing. I think that, yeah, I mean, I still find it very powerful. And I think um, it's not just a question of like trying to sort of pressure people into not leaving the present for the future. But it's actually saying as well, and this is where it especially speaks to me, is like you don't have to take responsibility for anything except this mm. this this next moment you do have to take responsibility for yourself mm. and, and, and mm. in this moment but you don't have to be burdened by this thought that you are trying to kind of live a good life or do mm. the right thing through mm. your life or something mm. Mm. you can sort of you can sort of let yourself off the hook yeah with all of that do the you right do thing have, now right yeah. you have to do all the best that you can in this moment yeah this yeah. moment now and yeah. i think i think that's back to the lord's prayer forgive the past you know that's right. that's gone and, and yeah. that doesn't and and don't worry about tomorrow you got right. here now there's enough worries of its own here just right. deal with this moment i, I always tell- find that very i think that is so humorous in a way that and sardonic <laughs> i mean i don't know whether one is allowed to uh, find sardonic tones in in the words of jesus but like of <laughs> in the sermon on the mount that sort of that sort of like it's like do you not think that like you've got enough on your plate guys yeah, yeah, without, exactly. without coming up with new yeah. worries about tomorrow? I mean, come yeah. on. Yeah. yeah, exactly. right. Oh, well, listen, is there anything else you want to say before I let you go to whatever it is you're moving on to next? I mean, our, our listeners, I'm sure will have loved this. Uh, no, the next most necessary thing for me is to go and uh, take over being in 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 charge while our for our five year old on his uh, school holidays. So um, I ought to go and do that. Right. Been, well, listen. Thank you again so much um, for being on the podcast today. Thank you for this book. It's called Four Thousand Weeks by Oliver Berkman. Time management for mortals. Uh, any place you would rather people bought that? Because some people don't like him going to Amazon, the evil Amazon, or don't uh, you mind. <laughs> I've got to say, I am just really happy with people buying it, so I, and I do not intervene in, in, where they, in where they choose to do it. So uh, support the bookseller you care about the most. That is a great uh, a bit of advice. Thanks so much. And Oliver, thank you so much for being with us today. Really appreciate it. Bless you. It's been a, been a pleasure. So there we go. That was Oliver Berkman uh, interviewed by Joe. Well done. <laughs> thank you, poor guy. <laughs> <laughs> just reading loads of bits of his book at him <laughs> well it, it, it was good and i think um what's interesting there's so many things i could pick up out of it i made i made enormous long notes we don't have time for that but i think one of the interesting things is you know it's actually you know it's ostensibly a book about time management but it's really a book about how we're human beings it's a book about mortality actually. yes exactly right exactly right and i think that going back over that book because i read it before mum died but Going back and revising it after mm. Mum's death, it felt even more pertinent 
somehow mm. because yes it it is about sort of in a way radically accepting our finiteness isn't it um i think the interesting thing for me about it and 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 something i really want to think about is how do you reconcile finitude the, you know mm, the idea that mm. we have this limited amount of time here with infinitude yes yes that that came through loud and clear really didn't it because if you're if you, and certainly if you're the opinion that theologically you know all that matters is going to heaven and then we get to do whatever we please and presumably there are limitless resources so we haven't got to worry about planets and things like that yeah it, mm. it's a very different way of thinking than you know if you're perhaps like me not as sure about that <laughs> so um yeah well I, I mean it's it's an interesting thing isn't it how does our um how does the idea of immortality affect time management you know yeah. never mind mortality um and i think I, I suppose my initial thoughts is because we are embodied creatures yeah. And we do have to deal with our faith right here and now. Yeah. Um, and whatever happens in this in the future, I still want to have a better quality of life here and now. I mean, that's also my argument for becoming a follower of Jesus here and now is because I still want a better quality of life now. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, I, I, I just found that a very interesting uh, kind of idea. And very interesting. And, and for me, like I definitely am happy to live with the paradox of that. You know, I really hope the afterlife is spectacular and better than I imagine it uh, to be. But that doesn't alter the fact that I I want to live really well here now, responsibly, mm. well, joyfully, um, lovingly, mm. um, because I think that is the goal of this life. And all I have is now this present moment. The present moments after I die, we deal with after I die. <laughs> but for now, let's be here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it raises a lot of questions it does but there were so many good bits in that interview i loved um jomo oh absolutely know. brilliant uh, yeah and i, I did I, th I thought for for christians and particularly maybe for for some of our listeners i don't know this idea of the paradox of choice this idea that we are we're haunted by the fact the idea that there's there's better mm. ways out there there's so yeah. much choice. There's got to be a better choice always. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and I think that you know the post sort of Reformation world really affected that because we get that mm. idea that somewhere there's a better church. Yes, yeah. There's there's always <laughs> going to be a better church. You know, a yeah. more a more pure denomination awaiting for me. If only I can. If only I can get to it. If only I can make the right choice. Yeah. And and, yeah. and there never is. So you know. Yeah. I'm not saying you have to stay where you are, but sometimes, well, I suppose I am. Sometimes it is better yeah. just to stay where you are with all its problems. Um, so, yeah, anyway. e exactly. I mean, it's it's a it's a grown up book, isn't it? It's a mature book. Look, folks, you know the world isn't perfect. Your life isn't perfect. You definitely can't do everything you think you want to do. So have a think about what's really important and focus on that. But ditch the rest. I was quite challenged by that. You know that one buffet quote do you remember that about you know he, yeah you were saying, he get, yeah. yeah list 25 things you really want to do in life and and put them in order but not only eradicate or was it six to 25 on your list so you're just left with five but mm. actively don't do the others because they are literally distracting you when you try and do everything you end up doing nothing uh, mm. and that, mm. that was i thought that was a fascinating idea and the, and the yeah. idea 
there are trade-offs through life and all the rest of it. There's so much there, isn't there? And don't defer stuff. Don't defer stuff to the better day when everything in your life is running smoothly, when you've got it under control. That day ain't coming. I think also, and you picked up on this in the interview, it's a book that, that has quite a lot of grace in it. Yes, it does. And he, I like, quite liked his grasp of grace. I mean, he's got it more than a lot of Christians I know. You haven't got to earn. Relax. Yes. <laughs> Life's yes. not a competition. You know, you've yes. got to impress. Um, it's all grace. Yeah. Well, any, anything, is there anything you're desperate to say about a book? Because there's so much, isn't there? Is there anything that really struck you off with the interview? Well, I think it, it chimes in with a lot of what we talk about in terms of the kingdom of God. And you brought that in at the end. You know, mm. I think, you know, you, you don't have to take responsibility for anything in the future, but you have to take responsibility for this moment, mm. you know, and and I think that's the thing about sort of living in the moment and making the moment a good thing and doing the next good thing in that moment mm. is, is a very powerful thing. Um, mm. Yeah, so I, I, I just find that really helpful. Mm. That's I think that's that's it for me, really. Yeah, me too. And it's it's sort of, um, you know, we've talked about this before, I know, but, you know, that, that idea of the prayer in the morning of, you know, however you want to phrase it, Lord, what are we doing together today? Um, meaning what is the next good thing for me to do now and it, it sort of reminds me in relationships with Rachel you, you know be kind to that dear woman you know, who married me all those years ago poor thing mm. you know what she deserves at this moment is is kindness and patience and you know this is the way I want to live my life today and along with everyone else I'm probably going to meet in the day they're all going to need a bit of kindness and patience so I'm going to need some resources from the spirit to uh, to dish that stuff out yeah it was amazing well there we are and hopefully that's uh, giving you lots of food for thought and we'd love to hear your thoughts we would uh, so do uh, send them using your email machine of choice to yes point to your email machine to joe at midfaithcrisis.org <laughs> indeed uh, and uh, just in the general uh, direction yeah point it and, and press the button uh <laughs> Uh, thank you very much for listening. Thank you to everyone who supports the podcast. Um, thank you to yes. everyone who uh, recommends it, passes it on to friends. Thank you to everyone mm. listening around the world in Romania and Namibia and elsewhere. <laughs> um, Indeed. And we'll be back with you, uh, sort of, in two weeks' time. Yes, indeed. Yes. Enjoy the break, everybody. 